0: Great to have everyone back on the Tech Ed Podcast. My name is Matt Kirkner. Have you ever met somebody whose personal mission was just absolutely contagious? They believed so strongly in what they were doing that you couldn't help but want to be a part of that. Have you ever met someone with an engaging personality that just drew other people to them? Someone with a personal level of energy that fuels not just themselves, but everybody else. Someone with a life story. So inspiring that it makes you want to be a better person. Today, we have just such a guest with us. I met Joshua Johnson last year in the year 2021 and was immediately just really, really impressed with this gentleman. We're so much looking forward to our conversation. Joshua is the director of the Innovation Hub for Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Accessibility in Apprenticeships. Welcome to the Tech Ed podcast, where we visit with leaders who are shaping, innovating, and disrupting technical education. People who are not afraid to think differently, not afraid to try something new, all with the goal of securing the American dream for the next generation of STEM and workforce talent. Joshua, great to have you with us today.
1: Thank you, Matt. And uh, thank you for that introduction. I need to take you on the road with me. It made me feel really good.
0: You let me know the date, and we'll head out. I would love to do that. I meant everything I said. <laughs> now, I want to start with this. You know, one of the things that I just found incredible about you is a really, really unique story. Your background is so inspiring; it's so incredible, and the way that you found your way into an apprenticeship. Can you share with us what that life story looks like?
1: Yeah, definitely. Unique is uh, is definitely the best way to put it. Uh, I became aware of apprenticeship and more specifically the construction industry when I was working for a company named Doral Corporation in Milwaukee uh, shortly after being released from prison, 2005. There I was loading trucks with the construction equipment for millwrights, ironworkers, and fitters, pipe fitters. And a man by the name of Richard Roundtree, who was an ironworker, approached me and he asked, you know, have you ever thought of being an apprentice and working in construction? Now, i gonna be honest, I had no clue what he was talking about. And throughout our conversation, I just kept saying to him, look, man, I'm just looking to work so I don't go back to prison. And we all, you know, we shared a good laugh there. And he he let me know that that was his mission too, to make sure, you know, that he could give me some opportunities. Uh, But what I didn't realize was he was planting a seed that would continue to get watered for the next few months. And then lastly, by another worker who I came across who said, hey man, Walsh Construction was looking for workers to help construct the newly remodeled market interchange here in uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And this is where the story gets interesting, right? So I go down to the Walsh office and ask for an application. As I begin completing the application, I came to question number five or six, right? And we all know what that question is. And that's the question of, have you ever been convicted of a felony? Now, mind you, this is 2005, right? So the, the reentry, justice involved, the way we talk about the language, it was not the sweet spot at that time in 2005, as it is now in, in 2022. And at the same time as I was getting to that question, three young men came from out behind The desk in some other office, and they began sifting through a stack of applications on the desk. Uh, One of them remarks, as he was going through the applications, that he would never hire somebody who had been in trouble with the law. Well, needless to say, at that point, uh, I was like, well, I guess this might not be the uh, place where I'm going to get a job at. So I felt felt pretty doomed, and I said, well, let me just go ahead and finish completing this out and just go on about my day, right? But at that same moment, a man looked up from another desk, and said, not me, if someone is desperate enough to steal, they are desperate enough to come to work every day to make money. Now, at that point, I became truly rejuvenated. I immediately wrote down what my convictions were, how long I spent in prison, and I would have put anything else that I needed to to show I was worthy of a chance, right? So after I completed the application, I asked, could I speak to the man who spoke up? And and the, the administrative assistant said, sure. I stuck around, had some conversation with him afterwards. I walked up to him and said, I want to say thank you. He looked at me obviously confused, like, thank me for what? And I said, I want to thank you, because it's guys like you that would give a guy like me a chance. So he was still kind of perplexed, confused. He pulled my application from the bottom of the pile and said, tell me about it. So I proceeded to tell him everything. And I ended my whole statement with, sir, I just need someone to give me a chance. I don't ever want to go back to prison. He instructed me to get connected to an organization called Big Step here in Milwaukee, to enroll in their upcoming trans class, which is a highway roadway building class, and to let him know what I did. I walked out after saying thank you. And it was funny. I called that organization, got on the list, called him back. The guy's name was Jay Titus, and he's still at Walsh Construction. I called him back and said, I'm on the list. He said, we'll be in touch. A couple of days later, he calls me. And literally a couple of days. This was Thursday that I met him, and Saturday morning he called and asked if I still wanted to work construction. And I, obviously I said yes. He said, well, you know, report to 6th and State and be ready to work. And obviously the
0: rest is history. It's an amazing, amazing story. You know, there's so many directions that we can go with that, Joshua, from the opportunities and kind of the serendipity of meeting somebody like Richard at the time that you met him, having him plant that seed in you. The man behind the desk, we'll call him, that that was willing to give you that chance when you said, just give me a chance. It's just a great message, especially as we look at you know, our workforce today, the challenges of finding great people. And listening to a story like that somebody who had you know worked their way through the correction system was back into the uh, you know the normal walk of life and being able to have that opportunity to build on what you knew to gain some additional skills and to really put your life together in a way that is really now, 17 years later, benefiting so many other people in the way that you live your life, the way that you inspire them, the work that you do. I want us to get into that discussion a little bit. That first apprenticeship opened up more career opportunities for you. So tell us now about the pathway that ended up leading you to jobs for the future.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's always funny when I look back in 2005, uh, when Jay Titus handed me a shovel and said, "Now show me for the next two weeks that you deserve to be on this project," and I sat there and shoveled sand behind the Joshua Glover Bridge over on Fond du Lac Avenue for like 16, 18 hours a day. Who would have known that at that from that point forward, that that same apprenticeship contract that I earned the ability to sign would be the same contract that I signed later as the state director of Wisconsin apprenticeship? So it really pulls everything back into true perspective for me. After that apprenticeship, I would say I had a very successful and fulfilling career in construction for six years here and in Illinois and in Wisconsin. Uh, But then when my youngest son was born, I decided I no longer wanted to spend 80 plus hours building highways every week. Uh, So I walked away. I walked away and started my own business. I was uh, touring the country, doing speaking engagements, talking about my past, trying to encourage young men and women to not go back, to adopt the mentality that they never had to go back to prison, uh, but I was also trying to help them find work and having conversations with them to build this sense of belonging and build confidence in them so that they can go walk into an employer and seek employment without being ashamed of their criminal background. Once again, this was totally happenstance, but I happened to be at an event speaking and a woman named Lenice McGee heard me speaking and contacted me uh, later on about coming to work for the state of Wisconsin. Right? I never in a million years thought I'd work for the state of Wisconsin, the same state that I was imprisoned in and I'd be working for the actual state of Wisconsin. She had come across a job posting for a business service consultant with Division of Vocational Rehabilitation. And she thought, you know, I'd be the perfect person for that job and recommended that I apply for it. Now, I went ahead and applied and I ended up getting hired by a woman who would become a very good friend and mentor to me to this day, Leah collins Warcheck, who was the director of Milwaukee's DVR, Division of Vocational Rehabilitation at the time. And She brought me in with the notion that pretty much the same way as you introduced me, with the infectious and the ability to really to encourage and to inspire, and that's what her goal was, bringing me in here, to help connect, to help get businesses understand the value of tapping into hiring individuals with disabilities. Uh, I spent a little over a year there, uh, and then saw a posting for an apprenticeship training representative position with Wisconsin Apprenticeship, so I applied there after the urging from Leah, who said that this is the direction I need to go. So I applied for the job and it was funny, just, I don't know, I'd say about a month or so before the job was posted, I had just presented to the whole Wisconsin apprenticeship staff about DVR and about the individuals that we were serving and how could we make a connection to apprenticeship. That conversation was, I don't want to say it fell on deaf ears, but it fell on ears that just weren't ready at that time to see how we truly could be impactful, right They're just we were just coming around the bend of really starting to connect outside of just the own bureau itself. So the manager at the time was so impressed with my presentation that I come to find out later on, that she told the director, "You know we have to find a way to get him, you know here in the Bureau of Apprenticeship." Well, I applied for the job, I interviewed uh, for the job. I worked as an ATR for a little over a year. And then the opportunity came for the section chief who moved on to another position and I was promoted to section chief. And at that time, I remember going into the interview and the director at the time, uh, the illustrious Karen Morgan, who was a mainstay of Wisconsin Apprenticeship for almost 30 years. You know, she said, uh, why did I want the job? And that was just her question. It's like, why do you want this job as a section chief? And I said, Stone, perfectly serious, because I want to be your successor when you retired. And it was funny because she just chuckled. If you knew Karen, you'd you'd understand that the chuckle that she had, and she said, I knew that ever since the first day I hired you. So that opportunity came three years later when she retired, and I became the sixth state director of Wisconsin Apprenticeship since its inception in 1911. And in those very short amount of time that I was the director of Wisconsin Apprenticeship, I was able to keep the foundation of what we were doing and the tradition of apprenticeship, but at the same time, be really innovative with the apprenticeship system in Wisconsin. Now, here's what led me to JFF. I was I ended up participating in an event that would expose me to how great of an organization JFF is. It was a race and register apprenticeship webinar uh, they hosted during Black History Month. And I was a panelist, and it was surreal. It was another panelist, a really good friend of mine who was a state director. And we're, we're sitting there having a conversation, and we're just talking about race and register apprenticeship and how we're doing things and, and what we're doing to make it better. And then here it is a year and a half later. You know, and I'm being interviewed for this current position I'm now in, which is director of the National Innovation Hub for DEIA in registered apprenticeship. Like a truly windy path, but one that has given me so much practical knowledge and experience, along with the theoretical support throughout my career. I-, I can't say enough, you know, how much the work I'm engaged with here at JFF fits right in with my core beliefs and passion for workforce, economic mobility, and the promise and opportunities in apprenticeship.
0: And we're going to dive into that work here in quite a bit of detail. I want to reflect just a minute, Joshua, in the way you're so meticulous and so careful about recognizing those people that you feel like got you to wherever you are and wherever you're going. So many ways, all of us are just a collection of those people on whose shoulders we stand, right? All the people that that created opportunities for us. Certainly serendipity plays a part, but who we are and taking advantage of opportunities plays a part and and credit to you for being so careful to recognize all those folks that have had an influence in your life and helped you rise to the level that you have, which is certainly impressive. And I wanna now dive into that impressive work that you're doing at Jobs for the Future. Let's talk more about JFF. What is the organization's mission? And then how do you go about accomplishing that mission?
1: Yeah, so JFF is a national nonprofit that has driven transformation in the American workforce uh, and education systems for nearly 40 years. JFF has led the way in designing innovative and scalable solutions uh, that create access to economic advancement for all. While JFF has long been a conduit for change, connecting disparate systems, ideas, and stakeholders, the time has come for us to be a powerful catalyst for change by accelerating innovation to reimagine the future of work and learning. There are five key areas where we can be a leading engine to drive that equitable impact. Those five areas are creating learner and worker opportunity, strengthening education and career navigation, ensuring program quality and efficacy, integrating learning and work, and building strong regional economies. And we chose those five areas after asking ourselves key questions about our mission and the market such as where do we want to lead? Where can we direct our energy, expertise, and relationships to have the greatest impact? And most important, what problems is JFF in a unique position to solve? And I think we move forward with that with our stakeholders across the country and the engagement that we have, uh, working with them to help build those opportunities in America's workforce and to create that true economic mobility. And that's why I'm so happy to be on the project that I'm on now that I I know I'll be talking about here coming up, but it has so much impact when we talk about engaging the employers and engaging the supply side as well, helping to give them the confidence and courage to move forward to find better opportunities for themselves in the workforce.
0: And I think you mentioned it earlier on in our podcast today. Just I think more and more employers are becoming, maybe out of necessity, maybe out of the fact that there's just a lot of work being done in certain advocacy areas to educate people about opportunities, to create career pathways for folks from all different backgrounds, all different walks of life. We're certainly seeing this the sea change, I think, in terms of that openness on the part of employers to not just fill those open positions, fill them with really qualified people and inspire people toward not just a job, but toward a career, which I think is, is really, really important as well. And so your work at JFF certainly is incredibly valuable and incredibly impactful in that area. I wanna keep diving in now more specifically to the work that you yourself are doing within the Innovation Hub for DEIA in apprenticeships. So we hear the words diversity, equity, inclusion, accessibility, You know, in some ways people might say they've almost become buzzwords, when you use that term, when you use those letters D E I A, what does that mean and why is that so important to you, Joshua?
1: Yeah, it's it's interesting. I've had so many conversations with folks, including some of my own friends, who talk about like how long will this last, right? We're getting such great buzz around diversity and inclusion. Is it just something to make everybody feel good, warm, and fuzzy at this point? And for me, I take it, you know, I take it not only really serious, but I also look at it as. It doesn't necessarily have to be making you feel warm and fuzzy or to be this fad right now. I think we truly do need to see that change in the American workforce uh, to lean more towards creating those opportunities for individuals from underserved communities, individuals who've been disenfranchised from these opportunities. And, you know, so when we talk about DEIA, right, I've always said there's no such thing as diversity without inclusion. But now I take it even a step further and say none of that is possible without true equity. We have to have equity in the system. Now, this is a very important part of who I am, as well as my career. I always think back to my construction days, being one of the few Black men on every job site I worked on, and then ascending to a career executive role in state government, and still only seeing a handful of others who looked like me in those roles. It really sparked my passion for wanting to create opportunities For myself, as well as those from underserved communities. Think about it. I learned about apprenticeship at the age of 28 by a Black man, Richard Roundtree, who was doing his due diligence and asking if I wanted to work in construction. So, as a state director, I made it a focus to ensure that the access points many people from underserved communities couldn't see or access were now going to be accessible. And I bring that same passion, that same mission into my role at JFF, where we're going to challenge the employers. To think strongly about their recruitment from these communities as a way to compete locally, nationally, and in some cases globally, but also to create that diverse and inclusive workforce, which only makes your company that much better. You know, I made it a mission of mine to really ensure that our employers find and engage with those communities because for some, the intent was there, but they truly had no clue how to tap into this untapped talent pool in the underserved communities. And when you think about apprenticeship, you know, I I always say apprenticeship is plays a part in your career pathway. Many times we look at it and they say, well, apprenticeship, that's your career. Well, no, apprenticeship is just the program that has the outline for a specific occupation. But apprenticeship plays a part in your career pathway and who you become. And that's why it's my passion, uh, because in my opinion, (laughs) I'm going to be honest, it has no rival uh, in the country. Uh, making it the only workforce program that could turn someone who has no experience such as myself walking in all they have is some drive and want to and it turns them into a proficient and highly skilled worker in the industry there's no other workforce program out there that can do that i really feel like apprenticeship can eradicate poverty because of that ability to bring somebody in with no experience and turn them into a skilled worker in the industry I mean, talk about in the middle class, right? In one to five years. Show me another program that can make that happen for someone unskilled. You know, it's it's just, it's amazing what the promise of apprenticeship can do for anyone out there.
0: As I mentioned to our audience, your your energy and your passion around these topics is certainly contagious and it's impossible not to listen and not get excited about what the future can hold for folks from underserved populations for the future of American industry. As you know, just earlier this week, I was in Detroit, Michigan. Uh, working on two projects, uh, one with Ford and one with Chrysler, in their apprenticeship training programs. You know what you say is exactly right. We're taking people without necessarily any applicable skills. Certainly, they have a you know they have a level of education. They've got a background and an interest that drew them to whatever apprenticeship pathway they're on. But that opportunity to take people, have mentors, have formal training, have a defined pathway into a really it's a family supporting, sustainable rewarding career there's no limit to what you can accomplish and as you know as you've shown you can have an amazing job that was created by an apprenticeship opportunity you can stay in that role for your entire career or you can take that experience you can take that background, and morph it into all different types of opportunities. So I think, uh, you know, your advocacy for apprenticeships is contagious. We're only going to see them grow. We're already seeing them grow here in the United States. And so excited about the future. And as we think about that future, you know, I know you're a person that isn't just in this for the talk. You're all about results. You're all about being able to say, this is where we started. This is where we ended up. Your whole life story is exactly about that. What are your deliverables over the next four years with the EIA?
1: as it pertains to deliverables, you know, I'll talk about our mission. You know, our mission is simple, to change the national apprenticeship system and to make the promise of apprenticeship accessible and equitable for all, right? So it's, it's, it's tongue-in-cheek when I say it's simple, but yet again, it really is going to be simple. It's engaging the employers and helping them understand the importance of building those inclusive registered apprenticeship programs. We're going to do that with our team. My team is from across the country. I have Maria in Pennsylvania, Jen is from Iowa, and Mariela is from Rhode Island. They make up the Innovation Hub team. And we're working together with the partners, the nine partners that we have as part of this cooperative agreement with USDOL. To really start to engage those employers in a few different ways, right? The first way is to have them sign our DEIA pledge, as well as to reach out to us for free. Yes, I said free technical assistance, whether that's in a group or a one-on-one setting, and in some cases, one-on-one coaching to make sure that they have some type of universal design uh, implemented into their programming. And I know that all sounds, you know, really sounds far-fetched when we talk about changing the whole system, but that's why we do the work right? We want to create that change. And I believe USDOL tapped JFF and saw their ability to be this engine for change in the workforce uh, by creating that economic mobility. And that's why we were awarded the grant to do the work of the Innovation Hub for DEIA in Register apprenticeship. But I, I would say our deliverables are going to give us the ability to create fact sheets We're going to be creating documents highlighting promising practices and other resources that registered apprenticeship stakeholders and employers will be able to access for free to use as they continue to help us promote apprenticeship, as well as to help build strong and inclusive registered apprenticeship programs. And I think, as I was saying about deliverables, we've also stepped into this and talked about creating sustainability. So the four years of this cooperative agreement with USDOL, you know, from day one, when I stepped on the job, my goal was to create a sustainable innovation hub of diversity, equity, and inclusion in registered apprenticeship, one that can be supported through philanthropy, as well as through federal or state grant dollars. So that's what we're looking forward to is moving on way past four years. We don't want to feel constrained by that four-year limit.
0: Great eye toward that long-term future as you work to accomplish your mission. I love the fact that you Began that last answer by talking about your mission. You know, at the Tech Ed podcast, we have this podcast in large part to live out our mission of securing the American dream for the next generation of STEM and workforce talent, as you know. So you talk about a, a broad and big mission, securing the American dream for the entire country. That's a pretty broad one as well. You've got an incredibly broad mission as well, but we don't accomplish much if we don't think big. And you're thinking really, really big. I also know you're thinking about all the different ways that are going to enable you to accomplish that mission. And we know for sure that nobody can accomplish their goals in life, their mission in life without having amazing partners to work alongside in order to get there. You've already mentioned some of your uh, amazing coworkers that are in states all over the United States. You've talked about your partnership with the U.S. Department of Labor. Tell us more about the partners that are helping you achieve the goals and and what their roles are.
1: Yeah, so we have a very robust uh, list of partners here. I'll name them off and I'll just give some, just real brief, very broad strokes of the work that we're getting done with them. We have an organization uh, 110, We have the Chicago Women in the Trades, the Center for Minority Serving Institutions at Rutgers University, otherwise known as CMSI, the Institute for Community Inclusion at the University of Massachusetts, uh, Boston, the Apprenticeship School of Newport News, Virginia, Donna Linhoff and Associates, UNIDOS US, Intelligent Partnerships, otherwise known as IP, they are Inclusion Design Consultants, And lastly, but definitely not least, Apprenticeship Carolina. These partners are bringing to us their expertise, and we're hoping to deliver their expertise out to those employers and stakeholders who engage us. When I talk about doing technical assistance, it's not talking to Josh, right? It's talking to our partners, depending on what it is. You're looking for construction. You're looking for how do we engage women in construction in the trades, right? We're going to do technical assistance with Chicago Women in Trades to make that happen. So that's the real goal with our partners and the partners that we have gauged. And all those partners have a specific population that they serve, but then they also have a broader population that is within their their service range. Uh, So we're really excited about having them on board and and engaging them. And we have already been completing some work with a few of them. And over these next two quarters, we really start to dig in and build that foundation of our relationship to move forward.
0: So in true Joshua Johnson form, building amazing relationships, building amazing partnerships, inspiring people around the great work that you're doing all toward the goals that you outlined uh, for the future of, of JFF. It's going to be really, really fun to watch that roll out. I want to talk now about your model specifically, Joshua. You already mentioned the pledge that these employers are signing Uh, when they're making their commitments to you, to their apprentices, to the future of the relationship. Tell us more about the pledge. What are these employers actually pledging to do when they sign that pledge?
1: So the pledge will help us identify those employers that are committed to the policies and practices of DEIA and hopefully bringing in other employers to develop that national network of like-minded employers with that intentional focus on diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. As we talked about, you know, the goal of this project is to really expand the nation's capacity to offer diverse and inclusive registered apprenticeships. Well, JFF Center for Apprenticeship and Work-Based Learning, which is where the Innovation Hub is housed, will provide that direct hands-on training and support to those employers, education and training providers, as well as community organizations to help them increase diversity, equity, and inclusion in apprenticeships. So by signing a pledge, they will gain access to support opportunities, as I talked about, for free, promising practices, and curated tools and resources that will assist them in establishing that diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility in their program. It's one of the things we've looked at, you know, after signing, uh, they get to receive like a downloadable badge so they can display it on their website or on their email signature so that they can show that they're engaged and they're all about creating DEIA in their registered apprenticeship program. So it's really exciting. So far we have, I want to say, since we launched the pledge a month and a half ago, We have six employers from all across the country who have signed. It's as it continues to go live and as we continue to put more support behind it, we anticipate gaining more employers to sign it. Our goal is to have 400 employers sign over these four years to sign that pledge and to become a part of that national network of employers who are intentionally focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion, accessibility, and registered apprenticeship.
0: Six employers in six weeks, so one a week on the way to 400 over the course of four years. And so uh, your work well underway and already paying dividends, certainly for the employers. I think that, you know, let's be clear about that, but also to the apprentices themselves and creating these pathways from whatever Latin life or whatever walk of life they're coming from into these amazing opportunities in a wide variety of different markets and different market spaces. And that's what I want to dive into now. You know, I think Joshua... When people historically think about registered apprenticeships, I think they probably think about union work, the you know unionized skilled trades. And especially as we look backwards in history, those are the types of career pathways that many registered apprenticeships have led to. But the opportunities for apprenticeships, they're way, way wider than just maybe that paradigm that a lot of people might have about where apprenticeships have been in the past. Tell us about the opportunities for modern apprentices in different fields of work.
1: Yeah, it's funny because if I had a dollar for every time in my career that I heard, well, the apprenticeships are only in union construction. You know, I'd be rich and retired on an island somewhere warm.
0: Well, we can't afford to have you rich and retired. We need you doing the important work you're doing. So it's, it's good that nobody's giving you a dollar every time you heard that.
1: I know, right? I know. But in all seriousness, no, apprenticeship has continually evolved uh, into many new sectors of work as well as evolving in the union construction and manufacturing occupations as well. You know, we think about sectors such as transportation, IT, finance, biotech, agriculture, healthcare. uh, Those are just to name a few that have realized the value of apprenticeship structure that is brought to their industry. You know, many employers in those sectors are still hesitant at times to get involved because they aren't used to the idea of using a formal apprenticeship although they already do have some type of informal or formal training already in place to identify those workers to advance. We've also seen those industries tap in to the underserved communities for their workforce needs as well. So they are definitely coming into the picture at the right time. You know, in my opinion, those new sectors coming into apprenticeship will continue to help the whole system thrive because now you don't have to feel like the only way you could be an apprentice is through construction or manufacturing. Now you could be an apprentice and be a cybersecurity analyst. You could be a truck driver. You could be a medical assistant. You could be a financial services professional and so on and so forth. To me, it's a great opportunity for growth in the system, not only for industry, uh, but also exposing more individuals to the opportunities that exist.
0: Really, really important point. When you think about apprentices, we really don't. I think most people don't. Maybe I didn't think about folks in the medical field. Think about people pursuing IT careers, people in finance, and certainly broad, broad opportunities in the world of apprenticeships to lead to all different types of career pathways. I'd love for you now, Joshua, to just share a story or two of people that have followed that path, that have chosen the apprenticeship path toward whatever their future career was. Talk us through those success stories and give us a couple specific examples.
1: I have three, actually, three good ones here. They're very powerful and, and very relevant for our conversation. So I'll start out with a friend of mine named James Graham. He started his sheet metal apprenticeship in 1995 his story to becoming an apprentice is actually hilarious. He was going to meet a young woman at a bar. He walks into the building. He sees a guy sitting at a desk and he asks, you know, where's the bar? And, and the guy tells him, yeah, this isn't a bar. This is a union hall, right? He said, the bar is across the street. So he said, well, what do you guys do here? And, you know, the, the the guy at the desk said, this is the Sheet Meadow Workers Union Hall. Do you know what apprenticeship is? And he said, no, I don't. And he told him. And here we are. You know, 27 years later, and now he's a journey worker foreman for in the sheet metal occupation. Right. It's it's always funny because when I have conversations with them, you know, I, I say, what is the best thing about your career? And he said, the best thing is knowing that I now have you know, not only several marketable skills, but I will never be able to unlearn those skills. So anywhere in the world, when he shows up, he could check in at a union hall and go to work and make whatever those wages are for that job site. So it's funny, you know, that's that's one person who stayed in and from 1995 has now grown to journey worker foreman.
0: And how many stories have we heard, by the way, before I let you go on with those other two about people who maybe were on their way to work and ended up at a bar? This is a guy who was on his way to a bar and ended up at work.
1: Very, very true. Very true. And on his way to a a very successful career. And then there's another story, another friend of mine, Truman, who I believe uh, Melissa had the opportunity to meet. Truman McGee owns Funky Fresh Spring Rolls here at the Sherman Phoenix in Milwaukee. Truman was also an apprentice. He went through his apprenticeship program. And on the last day of his apprenticeship, when he graduated from his apprenticeship, work had dried up. And he was, you know, he kind of didn't know what he was going to do. He got laid off. And it was the lessons that he learned from his apprenticeship that allowed him to become such a good businessman that he started his own business, Funky Press Spring Rolls. And now he uses those same teachings that he learned as a sheet metal apprentice. He brings those same things to making spring rolls. Now, create the correlation there in your wildest dreams. I don't know how, but when he starts talking about the math and the things that he has to do, he said that that sheet metal apprenticeship was one of the biggest Jump starts into his career, into his life. And it's funny because he could go back and do that work for the rest of his life. Cause just like James, you can never unlearn it, but he decided to make it just a part of his career pathway. And then the last story I'll share, which is another absolutely amazing story is David Polk. David Polk is now my successor as the Wisconsin Apprenticeship uh, State Director. He was a plumber. His grandfather was the first black union apprentice plumber to graduate in the state of Wisconsin. His grandfather went through a plumbing apprenticeship. David went through a plumbing apprenticeship. And now here David is as the state director for Wisconsin apprenticeship. So when we think about it, each one of those men held a role in apprenticeship. And they're just like the hundreds of thousands of men and women across the country who've completed apprenticeship and many of whom have moved on into other careers. And I think that's that was one of the things that, as the State Director of Apprenticeship in Wisconsin, that I truly started to focus on was, how do we make it opportunistic for individuals to come in and get those skills, but then also to take those skills onto something else? And more importantly, how can we do it inside their occupation, such as helping them to learn construction management or to learn project management, so on and so forth, so that they can grow in that industry? So, you know, I always say apprenticeship is a part of everybody's story at some point when you become an apprentice it becomes a part of your story Uh, and those three are good examples of individuals that it was part of their story along with mine where it's just it's one of those things that truly changed our life
0: those are just fantastic examples and we coach you you know young people and people of all ages you know whatever it is that you decide to do when you're 16 17 18 years old maybe even a little bit older that isn't like your death sentence. That is not your terminal decision that you're going to be in this role for the rest of your life. Any of the choices that people make are all pathways to something else. And I think the way that you highlighted the fact that if you're deciding to go through an apprenticeship program, and in some cases you may be investing you know, thousands and thousands of hours in terms of your learning and your training and, and advancing your career, gaining those really, really important skills, doesn't mean that you necessarily have to do that job for the rest of your life. And certainly there's a lot of people who do and have rewarding careers in whatever field of work that they decided to pursue, and that's awesome. But to your point, all these different options and opportunities, you referenced our producer, Melissa Martin, who had the opportunity to meet Truman last summer as Sherman Phoenix, an amazing story there. Uh, I've known David Polk for a number of years, worked with him really closely when he was at Milwaukee Area Technical College. He does have a, a, just an amazing and inspiring story that incredible family background through apprenticeships, the opportunity that is that his grandfather had, and what a brave man to be in the position that he was. And to you know create a legacy that is now living through David as David promotes apprenticeships in the state of Wisconsin and beyond and inspires more and more people toward this really, really cool pathway toward amazing and rewarding careers. We talk with employers all the time about the challenges they're having in in finding skilled workers and really even unskilled workers, just finding people that fit their culture, that have an interest in pursuing careers in a a wide variety of market spaces, whether it's industry, manufacturing, construction, and so on. But if, if I'm an employer and I know that I want to engage with students and have them pursue or consider an apprenticeship opportunity, and I want to understand how I can become part of the apprenticeship movement here in the United States, how do I go about doing that? How do I go about engaging with those students, especially students in underserved populations, to to inspire them toward apprenticeships, inspire them toward my careers, and then put them on that path?
1: Yeah, so I actually start with why it's important to engage those underserved populations first. You know, many times those students don't even know these opportunities exist, right? Throughout their school career, they've been introduced to only going to college, and that is the only way that they could be successful. Or that if they go into the vocational classes, it meant that you weren't smart enough to go to college, which is so far from the truth, right? Because apprenticeship, vocational, and college are all tied together. Uh, So employers engaging with them truly will help solidify the value there is in entering the workforce with an employer who wants to develop you, but also helping those students to understand there's a career pathway to get it engaged. You know, I've always advised employers to look at the true possibilities that come with creating a ready-made pipeline into your organization by engaging with high schools and the students. And the high schools, to me, in my opinion, are just ripe and fertile with young men and women who are seniors in high school, juniors in high school, who have decided that they really want to go somewhere and they want to do something with purpose in their life. And that's where employers now have the ability to step in and say, this is what our company does. This is how we're engaged in social justice. This is how we're engaged in giving back and really showing what those career pathways look like and saying, we want to bring you in and develop you as part of our apprenticeship program so that in our company, you will go from this to this, right? And so those employers, they got to identify what those opportunities look like. You know, they have to build that ecosystem inside of their organization or with industry partners so that these young people can really start to see how these dots are being connected with the industry. They can also support, obviously, building the the registered apprenticeship programs that have a pipeline or a bridge, like in Wisconsin, it has a bridge where after you graduate high school, you bridge right into a registered apprenticeship uh, and you bring credit with you. There's a myriad of ways that employers can engage. Uh, There's a myriad of ways that employers should be engaging. And I think that's the work that we'll be doing in the Innovation Hub To really help engage those employers and show them how to access that untapped talent pool that is out there of young men and women between the ages of 16 and 24, how to engage them and really what that looks like.
0: I wanna touch briefly on the whole youth apprenticeship program. Now, Wisconsin was one of the first states to create such a program. And some people even refer to it as the Wisconsin model and say that that is the best model for youth apprenticeships. Share with our audience maybe just a little bit. About that Wisconsin model, and then also, how do you make youth apprenticeships appealing to today's students?
1: Yeah, so Wisconsin definitely holds the prestige of being the first state in the nation to create both register 1911 and youth apprenticeship in 1991. There are definitely other states with strong youth apprenticeship programs. Two come to mind right away: Colorado, uh, where you have CareerWise in Colorado. Uh, and then Apprenticeship Carolina, which happens to be one of our partners on this cooperative agreement. As for the Wisconsin model, you know, it was created for high school juniors and seniors to participate in work-based learning prior to graduation. So those juniors and seniors, when they're participating in their 450 or 900 hours on your youth apprenticeship, they're creating pathways to registered apprenticeship and getting connected. You know, one of the distinctions that Wisconsin also has is it's supported by state legislation who provides the funding for the 35 youth apprenticeship consortia across state. Those consortia handle everything as it pertains to the YA program. Those consortia are connected and sometimes are the school district. And the other aspect that makes YA successful is that direct intentional connection to registered apprenticeship through those bridging efforts. So one thing that I tried to do was to look at the 11 career clusters in youth apprenticeship and make sure that was one registered apprenticeship that was attached to each one of the career clusters in youth apprenticeship so that we can at least create one pathway, direct intentional pathway. As we talk about making YA appealing to today's students, you have to first remove the notion that apprenticeship or any type of entering the workforce is less than going to college. And I would always compare it and say, we celebrate when a student goes to college. We celebrate when a student goes to the military. We also celebrate when a student plays sports or signs a you know, letter of 10 but we never truly celebrate a student who's graduating high school and is entering into the workforce. And that has to become the norm. That is a very responsible decision. We have to let people know that it is okay to enter into the workforce. You know, So I always make sure to highlight that entering apprenticeship was just the same as going to college, right? It is college. Apprenticeship has related instruction tied to it. And many times it's delivered at the local area technical college. We also have to get parents to see the value, and I think that's where the new sector's coming into the fold will help out. We have to open our eyes to the opportunities available and not shut the door on our kids before they even have a chance to ask questions. So one of those keys is showing the career pathways they can access through youth apprenticeship by showing what it looks like, you know, as well as how much money they can make, as I mentioned before, can begin that conversation. This generation is not focused on money alone. You know, they want to work for an organization that cares about them as people, as we've seen with the pandemic I spoke about before. Workers want to be treated like humans. And lastly, you have to try and build in some type of dual enrollment so that they can earn some type of college credit, such as tech diploma or associate level credits during their apprenticeship. Those credits can lead to even higher degrees during their career or even after their career. This will also help parents to see the value of apprenticeship because many don't understand the true value and portability of that apprenticeship completion credential. You know, if they understood that value and the portability of that credential, then they might be less inclined to look down on it. Honestly, apprenticeship is just as I've as I've said numerous times, it's just a part of our career pathways, and I think we have to look at it from that standpoint and look at it for what it can do for us as a person and how it can help us in our career.
0: I absolutely couldn't agree more. You know, you look at in so many ways, folks may view not going on to some version of formal higher education as the consolation prize uh, on an education pathway. And that's just not the case. Whether somebody's going direct to workforce, whether they're going through an apprenticeship program, you know, number one, that's, it's not like that's the easy way, right? I mean, apprentices work hard. They learn their rigorous programs, you know, certainly not impossible, but it's, you know, it's, it's not the easy pass. It's you're working hard, you're studying, you're learning. Uh, To your point, I do a technical college and I like the idea of earning dual credit and and being able to create as many stackable credentials as we possibly can so that folks can have those in their portfolio as they continue on their pathway, whatever it is, taking time to make sure that parents understand the value of these decisions on the part of kids and, and that, man, if you can go into an apprenticeship program and people would be blown away by the kind of money that folks can earn both. Going through that program, and certainly once they're through the program, you look at that economically relative to the cost of uh, higher education in some cases and all the debt that you can carry with you. It's incredible the opportunities that are provided by youth apprenticeships, by registered apprenticeships, and, and so many great success stories. You've shared so many of them with us today, Joshua. We really appreciate it. As we close out our time together, we're going to pose to you the one question we ask every single guest here on the Tech Ed podcast. And that is, if you had one piece of advice to deliver to a high school sophomore as they consider their future, what would that piece of advice be?
1: It's funny, this is a great question. I have a sophomore and a freshman in my house right now and a fifth grader. So my daughter is a sophomore and I've always told her, find something that excites you when you think about doing it every day for the rest of your life. And of course, you know we don't foresee somebody doing a job every day the rest of their life. But if you find something that can excite you and it doesn't feel like work, start to do the research and see what it takes to be proficient at occupation. What licenses? what training, what does it take, right? Of course, being a workforce professional for the past 10 years, I lead that conversation a little bit different than maybe in many other households. But it's simple, you know, you just have to support what they enjoy, help them find what they enjoy and begin helping them to navigate their future. I'll tell her as well, don't ever look down on apprenticeship, right? We've had the saying in our house, like, I'm not paying for college. So if you want to go to college, you're going to have to Earn college either through scholarships, whether it's athletic, academic, or you're going to have to find those grant dollars to help support that. But I also want you to understand that not paying for college does not mean I don't want you to go. I want you to make sure that's exactly what you want to do. And going into the workforce instead of going to college is responsible. And it's not, you will not be looked bad upon in our household for that. And hopefully in no other household as well, right across the country. Cause I want them to really understand to do what they enjoy and what they love to do. I don't want them to feel pressured into making a decision. So my suggestion to any high school sophomore would be really find those things that excite you and start to do the research to see what it takes to be proficient at occupation. Ask a lot of questions, like a lot of questions, ask your parents, you know, ask neighbors, ask friends, really start asking those questions and get exposure. I always say you can't be what you don't see. So that also falls to the parents. Start getting your child exposed. They're going to tell you the things that they like to do and maybe what they're interested in. Try to find ways to get them connected and get them exposed. So that's a kind of a message to parents as well, not only to the sophomores out there. But, you know, I I finish it off with you have the world in the palm of your hands. So just, you know, be open minded and ready for wherever your career might take you.
0: You know, that's such a genuine answer, such a transparent answer, even pulling uh, examples from your own family. Another thing that I love about Joshua Johnson absolutely practices what he preaches. So that was just a a terrific, terrific answer. Find what you enjoy, find something that excites you. That's great advice for a high school sophomore. And that's absolutely what Joshua Johnson has done with his career. I can just tell from the enthusiasm in your voice, the, the smile on your face, Joshua, that you have truly found what you enjoy. You found something that excites you, and you found something uh, as a career that is so much more than a career for you. It's a way of life, it's an absolute mission. Really appreciate so much you spending some time here on the Tech Ed podcast. Um, an amazing message that I know is going to resonate with our audience.
1: Thank you. And as always, it's always my pleasure to be spotlight on the podcast. I really enjoy our time together. Mm-hmm.
0: Thanks for joining us for this episode of the TechEd Podcast. If you haven't already, subscribe, leave a review, and if you like this episode, share it with a friend. New episodes launch every Tuesday, so listen in next week.